These pillars are holding up the government, like my fingers are holding up this book. And I develop a strategy to undermine each of those pillars, the police, the, the, uh, the sangha or the religious institutions, the workers, whatever, every organization. And as they weaken and start to collapse, the government will collapse when those pillars are broken. Ideally, we want those pillars not destroyed, but transferred over to the democratic movement. Yeah. I, I just recommend everyone who works in the federal government, if you read the mainstream press, like who is covering your agency, who is working for ProPublica, who is working for Politico, um, they all have signal accounts, text them, leak everything you can, save your emails, record. I record these meetings, I send it over. I, and I can't believe I'm showing my face here, but I've been doing this for months. What say you about the speaker's decisions? So I had the incredible privilege to serve on that committee. Uh, it covers the most classified, most difficult stuff. Not every member of Congress gets to see the information that the Intelligence Committee sees. And Adam Schiff lied to the American people. And during my time as CIA Director and Secretary of State, I know that he leaked classified information that had been provided to him. Now, the fact that Adam Schiff was the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee almost ruined that committee. It serves an incredibly important function for the American people. Uh, Speaker McCarthy got this one exactly right. Uh, Adam Schiff should be nowhere near serving on the Intelligence Committee. I don't think he should be seeing classified information. Information is hidden. Pictures and video. But it's also hidden in their devices and their emails. See, they can watch us, and obviously we can watch them. I should emphasize, why did Adam Schiff want Greg Rubini a year after he was reporting on Eric Sierra to be banned from Twitter? Elections, anyone? Like I said, they watch us, but we watch them. It's only fair. Now, please enjoy this Adam Schiff data dump for your enjoyment, of course. about Russia. You lied about Ukraine. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, what are you going to do when the deep state can't protect you anymore? How about I say? When, when you're brought up for treason, what is your uh, response going to be then? You're going to hear these words later, but you might as well hear them now. You have a right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney. You cannot afford an attorney. You will be provided with one. Do you understand these rights? I've cited them to you. Adam Schiff, everybody. Guys, the Democrats are committing treason. You might know who we are, but we know who you are. You understand?
Mr. Buck, we're with Fox 11. Just like to talk to you for one quick moment, give you a chance. Yes, you do. I don't want to talk to you. You have nothing to say? Two people dead inside of your apartment, just looking to give you a chance to respond. Do you find that to be a coincidence, sir? Democratic donor Ed Buck, apparently not in the mood to speak with Fox 11 Wednesday night. Why will you not answer any questions, sir? We'll leave the property. We'll leave the property. We're walking out. You have nothing to say? No comment? No comment whatsoever. Mysterious death sparking protests in Los Angeles. Where two gay black men died at his home. Two men have died in that apartment in such a short amount of time. Both overdosed on methamphetamine. Found dead in the apartment of the political activist and Democratic donor. Who has donated tens of thousands of dollars to high-profile Democratic candidates. Former Governor Jerry Brown and Hillary Clinton. His name now is more synonymous with the deaths of two men in his West Hollywood apartment. A violent, dangerous sexual predator. Democratic Party donor Ed Buck. Democratic donor Ed Buck. Ed Buck. Ed Buck. Ed Buck. Edward Buck. Not long ago, Ed Buck was rubbing elbows with some of the Democratic Party's biggest stars, donating tens of thousands of dollars to various candidates and causes. Arrest Ed Buck! But this is Ed Buck's life now, under fire from community activists after a second gay black man, 55-year-old Timothy Dean, died in his home. Folks gathered twice last month and chanted outside Buck's West Hollywood apartment building. In the crowd, Letitia Nixon, the mother of Jamel Moore, who died at Buck's apartment in July of 2017 of a drug overdose. Police never arrested Buck or charged charged him with a crime. Uh, disturbing story out of California, where pressure is now growing on some Democratic politicians to return money from a wealthy white party donor following the death of a young black gay man at his home. 26-year-old Jamel Moore died on July 27th at the West Hollywood apartment of prominent California donor Ed Buck. Authorities ruled that Moore died of an accidental crystal meth overdose, but police are now taking a closer look and what happened at Buck's residence the night, the night Moore died. And Moore's mother is openly questioning whether Buck may have had something to do with her son's death. Jamel was scared. He was scared of this man. He came and he laid in my arms and he cried and he was scared. He was scared that this man was going to hurt him. And he went to the police station and they told him to go away. You know, they told they did not believe him. He called me in tears, crying that he didn't want to be this person. He wrote a diary saying that he did not, he was scared he was going to die. This man, he went out there searching for other men that were struggling and on the streets and, and had no money, you know, and I mean, men who had never experienced drugs before. Two deaths at his home, Buck was a well-known activist. Originally from Arizona, he reportedly made around a million dollars selling a courier company and moved to West Hollywood back in the early 90s. He's often referred to as a wealthy donor, so he did some checking and searched campaign finance records for federal, state, and local donations. Buck's biggest political investment was for more than $300,000 to his own political pack called Animal Pack, formed to represent animal welfare interests throughout California. Buck was a well-known animal rights activist, but he's also donated thousands of dollars to various politicians. Los Angeles County DA Jackie Lacey received $100 from Buck back in 2012. Her campaign says that money was given back in February of 2018. Democratic Congressman Ted Lieu took in $19,400 in state and federal donations from Buck. Lieu's campaign says after the second death at Buck's home, they donated the contributions they received to various charities. Buck gave Adam Schiff, now chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, $2,700 back in 2016. The campaign says the money went to the nonprofit Trevor Project.
When I first met Ed, uh, he was very talkative. He, he had intelligence. Uh, I knew or learned shortly thereafter he had run for governor in the state of Arizona. Uh, I knew that he was a, a Republican, and I'm not. I'm a Democrat. But the fact that he'd run for office and almost took Governor Meacham of Arizona out made him interesting to me. He was very involved with the Democratic Party, the Democratic clubs, uh, the Stonewall Democratic Club. But his role in West Hollywood government has been primarily as an agitator. You know, he'd come to council meetings on occasion and scream and yell about development issues. That's what I, I recall. Ed Buck is a predator that masqueraded around just to hunt down the bodies of black men, someone that was hiding in plain sight masquerading under the Democratic Party, masquerading around wanting to help people. The indictment alleges Buck solicited men through a recruiter or gay dating sites like Adam for Adam to his apartment to quote, party and play, AKA get high and have sex and sometimes get paid. Seeking out men in that category and providing them food, shelter and drugs, uh, you know, are the signs of somebody uh, with a scheme in mind. It was only when Timothy Dean happened when there was a second death in Ed Buck's apartment where all of a sudden everybody went, wait. The news came on and I seen it on the internet. And so I text Tim, I was like, Tim. And his message went green. Investigators in California looking into the second death of an African-American man in the home of Democratic mega-donor Ed Buck. The man, now being identified as 55-year-old Timothy Dean, he died of an apparent overdose. I miss that laugh when he would come up to you, you know, tickle your sides or, you know, give you this big hug, you know, he'd smile at you. We used to call him too much drama. And uh, he was, a, you know, Tim Dean was just larger than life. He had this personality that you knew when he entered a room. You knew that, you knew how he loved you by the way that he treated you. I never knew that Tim was using until um, I started to have my battles with it. And, you know, I talked to Tim about that situation. And Tim, in turn, started to talk to me about, you know, things to look for, you know, his situations and the things that have, you know, that have gone on with him. That was Tim's way. He was always serving, always honest, always open. About a month or so before, we were at Jim Bar, uh, out here on Santa Monica. And, you know, we had a conversation. We were just like, can you believe, you know, that this happened to Jamel Moore? And, you know, there were no repercussions from it. And... He looked at me and he said, promise me, don't you ever take your ass over there. He's like, I'm not trying to go over there and end up dead. Don't you ever take your ass over there. He's like, I'm not trying to go over there and end up dead. Tonight, new information about the latest person to die inside Ed Buck's apartment. Friends telling Eyewitness News that Timothy Dean of West Hollywood was the man found dead early Monday morning in the apartment of the political activist and Democratic donor. Sorry. It's just, um... Dean's roommate tonight just learning of his death upon arriving back home from his native Italy. I don't really know what to tell you. It's like... 
Like, he, he was a wonderful person. Like, he's always been super nice to me. A friend from the neighborhood was in tears upon hearing the news, describing Dean as the nicest, kindest man. Dean is the second person to turn up dead inside Ed Buck's apartment in less than a year and a half. 26-year-old Jamel Moore overdosed on methamphetamine in July of 2017. A homicide investigation was held and Buck was never charged. Today, in downtown L.A., a Black Lives Matter protest was held outside District Attorney Jackie Lacey's office. Jamel Moore's godbrother saying Ed Buck preys on black men, usually young and vulnerable, and is asking for charges to be filed. Ed Buck is a danger to society, not just because of what he's doing to black men, but just because of what he's exposing our community to in general. And what would that mean? He's exposing our community to being hooked on crystal meth and other drugs. A cause of death has not yet been released for Timothy Dean, but law enforcement is conducting yet another death investigation stemming from the apartment of Ed Buck. I lived with him and he never did drugs. I've never seen him on drugs, ever. I've never seen him on drugs, ever. Ed Buck has donated tens of thousands of dollars to Democratic candidates, including Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, as well as local Congressman Ted Lieu, who announced this week he plans to donate the more than $18,000 he has received from Ed Buck to civil rights charity. Um, good morning, everyone. So, as you saw from my feed yesterday, I was at the apartment of Ed Buck in West Hollywood. There is something a lot bigger than what we're focusing on that's going on. And I said not to take away from the death of the two individuals, but there, there's, there's something that's going on. In a telephone interview with NBC4, this man, identified only as Joe Doe in court papers, says he had nowhere to go after he gave detectives what officials said was the critical evidence needed for the arrest. Doe says, before I met Ed, before all of this happened, I'd never been out on the streets like this. I always had pride that I had a job and a place to stay. He says he hoped the county could help with emergency housing, but so far says he's had to depend on private donations raised online. The surviving victims' statements gave us the break we needed. Last week, L.A. County D.A. Jackie Lacey said the case would have been impossible to file without this man's help. It wasn't until this latest victim came forward, who, who really is a hero. Lacey said previous witnesses interviewed by investigators had not provided first-hand accounts of drug encounters with Buck. The people who came forward didn't necessarily have first-hand information. Which this man says he had and did six months ago. I told them everything, like, that happened to me, not hearsay. Cody who's listed as one of the additional victims in the federal charges, said in this video call with NBC4, he told detectives in April that Buck had injected him with meth and possibly other drugs, that Buck allegedly threatened him with a power saw, and he says he had the evidence to back it up. I showed them receipts, I showed them payments, I showed them messages, I showed them, I let them hear voicemails. Cody says he became angry when authorities didn't act for months and says he had only agreed to speak with detectives in the first place to try to prevent someone else from dying inside Buck's home. I did it because... Those could have been my friends, you know what I mean? Those could have been... It could have been me. It was the right thing to do. Investigators are in Newport Beach, Newport Beach this morning. They're combing through the wreckage of a deadly helicopter crash. A pilot and two passengers are on their way to Cal Catalina were killed. Two others were hurt. CBS 2's Candace Crone is live near Shearwater Place with an update for us this morning. Candace? Yeah, officials with the NTSB are still on scene uh, investigating, trying to figure out how this helicopter crashed. You can see it's been loaded on a flatbed behind that white truck you see there. Well, meantime, we're learning new information about the people on board that chopper that were killed.
It was just hard to believe what happened to those people. Very sad. Ann Peters came back to the scene of yesterday's deadly helicopter crash as NTSB investigators worked to figure out how and why the aircraft fell from the sky. The chopper took off from John Wayne Airport just after 1.30 p.m. and was headed for Catalina Island when it crashed into a home in this Newport Beach neighborhood, killing the pilot and two passengers. A fourth person on board survived. Shortly after takeoff, uh something happened. Uh, we do not have any distress calls from the, from the pilot of the helicopter. Authorities identified the three victims as 45-year-old Kimberly Watsman of Santa Monica, 60-year-old Joseph Tenna of Newport Beach, and 56-year-old Brian Reichelt of Florida. Since there are no mayday calls, NTSB officials will look into the pilot's background, the chopper's maintenance records, and security camera video to help them figure out why the helicopter crashed. It helps basically backtrack the event that occurred and from there we're able to look at the video video evidence and see um, anything you know the condition of the helicopter prior to the impact. Peters hopes investigators will learn what caused the deadly crash and help prevent something like this from happening again. You do everything right that you can to protect yourselves and your family and everything but these are things are so out of control. And one of the victims, Kimberly Watsman, worked at the Standard Hotel in West Hollywood. The company issued a statement, quote, we are heartbroken by the tragic loss of our friends. Our focus now is on supporting their loved ones and our team during this difficult time. Now, we've learned that the helicopter was leased to Revolution Aviation, which offers pilot training and sightseeing trips. I did reach out to the company, but my calls have not been returned. When my daughter was, I think, only about three or four years old, uh, I took her to the Capitol. And at that time, Nancy Pelosi was our whip. And I introduced her to Nancy Pelosi and I said to my daughter, Alexa, this is Nancy Pelosi. She's our whip. If you don't do what she wants, she has a whip. And, and Nancy got down on her knees uh, at the level of my daughter and said, don't tell her that, don't tell her that. And she took my daughter's hands and said, it's a candy whip. It's a candy whip. <laughs> and, I, I, and I thought to myself, it is not a candy whip. <laughs> Let's talk about Miss Maxwell, right, who was captured in the state of New Hampshire. Right, in Bradford, New Hampshire. Now she wasn't just in Bradford, New Hampshire. She had bought a home in cash in December of this last year. I want you to think about that. Epstein, the boyfriend, has been murdered. And we'll go over that. But for information and evidence that he has against the deep state. So you could consider her to vote to be the most endangered person, maybe, in this world. We know for certain there's people who want her dead. They killed Epstein in jail. You don't think it was that hard to pay off a couple guards, do you? How much drugs they sell in prison? More than they do on the street in some cases. Okay. So they now she knows they killed him. So of all the places where you would go, so let's think, let's live in my world for a minute. Why would she go to New Hampshire? And why would she buy a property? Because New Hampshire is the safest place she could be. What? They tried to kill me a few times in New Hampshire. I know it's not safe. Why is it safe for her? Because if you were her, and I want you to remind you, this is a very smart woman. She dealt with the elite of the elite. She knows the deep state personally. You know, like Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton. She knows them personally. Now, don't we know that? Okay? So she felt safe. So let's see what made her safe. What if the people who I told you run not just the state of New Hampshire, but pay attention now? but the money laundering for this country, it is a porthole. You don't think that they use 50 exits, a porthole's the laundering money, as in 50 states. Let's do it to a small state that's totally corrupted, that we can protect 100%. And not only that, we have our most trusted individual, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, chairman, leading fundraiser of the country, Bill Shaheen, who happens to marry, marry to Senator Jean Shaheen, also of the deep state. So let's think about this. 
if she had them on her money laundering and she could put them in prison, she let them know that. They put her someplace where they could see her. And then they tried to make a deal with the boyfriend. And you know what the problem with Epstein was? The guy was a billionaire. He turns around and can put you all in jail. So they're going to say, well, listen, can't we make a deal? This is an older guy. He ain't staying in prison. Not when he can put you in prison. So we gave him an option. And they killed him. That's the door they picked. It was easier to kill him than to tell you the truth or to let go of the information of the deep state and the laundering. So, so whatever door he picked, you know the other one was more dangerous to the deep state. Yet that's one they picked. Knowing that you, with half a brain, would know Epstein was murdered. Okay. So let's take a look here. Now who has Miss Maxwell? Oh, wait a minute. Did we not just do a video a few days ago? Where I showed you, proved to you with evidence that the FBI is not only corrupt, but they are the head of the deep state. I'm going to make them an offer, Camerfield. You said you come into my house and you asked me for the murder. You don't ask for respect. You also mentioned that it was uh, disclosed to the minority uh, today uh, for the first time uh, that the majority has evidently opened an investigation of the FBI and an investigation of the Department of Justice. Uh, under our committee rules, of course, that has to be the product of consultation with the minority, uh, but we learned about that for the first time uh, here today. Now, it has been publicly reported from time to time that there was a subset of the majority working on some kind of a uh, investigation or inquiry into the Department of Justice and FBI, but apparently the chairman uh, made it formal today. According to the majority, the FBI is under investigation and so is the Department of Justice. Uh, but as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. No, I'd go from rags to riches If you would only say you care Congressman Adam Schiff gives us his first interview after announcing that he's running for the U.S. Senate in California. I've always believed that what's right matters, that the truth matters. There is ample evidence of collusion in plain sight. Adam Schiff, the top Democrat, saying there is significant evidence of collusion. There's ample evidence of collusion uh, of the campaign, and it's very much in the public record. Adam Schiff said that there was damning evidence of collusion, and he said it was worse than Watergate. I've always believed that what's right matters, that the truth matters. I can certainly say with confidence that there is significant evidence of collusion uh, between the campaign and Russia. So you Director have Clapper. seen direct evidence of collusion? Uh, I don't want to go into specifics, but I will say that there is evidence that is not circumstantial. I can't go into the particulars, but there is more than circumstantial evidence. I've certainly, certainly said that there's ample evidence of collusion. I've never used the word treason. There's an effort to discredit Christopher Steele rather than looking into how many of the allegations he wrote about were true. I've always believed that what's right matters, that the truth matters. Maybe they can discredit Mr. Steele, although he's held in very high regard uh, within the intelligence community. But what's to be gained about that? It doesn't uh, undercut the fact that Russia hacked uh, our election uh, institutions. Uh, Donald Trump was really the one who enabled this Russian operation to be so successful. I think it's corrupt and evidence of collusion. More now on those dangerous leaks that are coming out of the White House. Our next guest tweeted the following. Obama caught on tape being weak to Russia is more dangerous than Trump caught on tape being strong with Mexico. Just to remind everyone what we're talking about here. This was the moment when President Obama spoke with Russia's president at the time, who was Dmitry Medvedev. This is my last election. Yeah. After my election, I have more flexibility. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. I trust this to I mean, it's amazing, right? <laughs> Former U.S. spokesperson to the United Nations, Rick Arnell, joins us. And 
Rick, I mean, we were talking at the beginning of the show about the idea that these transcripts of these calls between the president and other world leaders being leaked out to the news media and just thrown everywhere that how dangerous this is at the same time people are doing it to try and blast him but you pointed out that what he said is nothing like what we actually saw on camera and we just showed people yeah look let's start first with the leaks we got to prosecute the leakers this is terrible it uh having partisanship permeate our intel agencies is really dangerous it's a slippery slope it has to end and we have to get serious about it by the way you know the news media they love the leaks they're not going to help us they're not going to investigate True. or highlight the problems they feed off these problems so it's really up to washington dc politicians and responsible people to crack down and stop this but the the point is is getting caught on a hot mic unexpectedly is is never good obviously we we never want to see that but for president obama it emphasized a weak moment in front of russia where he was literally caught telling the Russians, you know, give me a little time and I'll be able to do, to do more want. after I kind of dupe the people of, of America. I'll, I'll be able to come clean with you guys and, and do your bidding. That's really what he was saying. For President Trump, however, getting caught here um, is a popular moment with his base because m many people are annoyed with Washington DC status quo they're annoyed with politicians they don't like what's happening and seeing the president get caught on a, on a, a hot mic unexpectedly showing uh, kind of annoyance with the status quo I think is gonna make a lot of the Trump supporters say that's why we hired him yeah uh, do you think it's as easy to find the leakers as our earlier guest said that basically you know the people who would have had access to that transcript and if you got out a polygraph or a lie detector you could just go down the list and figure out who it was absolutely uh, first of all if it's classified information at all you as soon as somebody opens it there's a record of who opened it. If somebody printed, there's, a, there's an additional record of that. So let's just talk about the unmasking information, which uh, I, you know, I know that the distribution list for the information after the unmasking was found was wide. There yeah. are people at the NSC and at the State Department who are surprised that they were on the list getting so much of information. So the motivation from political appointees like Ben Rhodes and Susan Rice was to give this information out as widely as possible, yeah. knowing that the gossip chain would, would take over and somebody would leak it. Former Clinton pollster, advisor Mark Penn, California Congressman Daryl Issa, Fox News contributor Tammy Bruce, good to see you all. Hey. Congressman Issa, you were in there. Um, hopefully we'll get the transcript tomorrow. I just went over the problems with these FISA applications. Is it true the bulk of information came from the dossier that Christopher Steele doesn't even stand by? That's exactly right, that it not only came from the dossier, but as you know, Christopher Steele hasn't been in, in Russia in 20 years. So even the people, the unknown people responsible for it could easily, easily have, in fact, been uh, agents of the Russian government, which would mean that Hillary Clinton is the one guilty of the so-called collusion. Well, that's a great irony there. Um, you have been very critical, Mark Penn, of this process from from the get go here, as you should be. Um, I don't. I believe if we have a dual justice system, I'm, I'm looking at taxi medallions, I'm looking at loan applications, I'm looking at tax violations, I'm not seeing any collusion here at all. This has gone so far. But I do see issues with Russia with Uranium One, and that is that we had a spy within that network, uh, and we did have a lot of money kicked back in the end. Then I do see issues with this dossier. 
because it's full of Russian lies. And the FBI used it as the basis of the FISA applications. And in fact, they never verified it. What James Comey just said is false because we know they didn't verify it because Steele doesn't stand by it. Well, I, I typically urge all Americans to read the dossier because anyone who actually reads the dossier understands that it's a, it's a, it's a joke document. It's a document filled with nonsense that c couldn't possibly be true that almost reads like an April Fool's joke. And now that we've spent, you know, I don't know, $30 million, uh, you know, investigated almost everyone in a campaign in the administration, there's still no evidence of anything that one would call collusion and certainly not related to the individual case. If anything, we're drifting more and more back to Monica Lewinsky days by talking about payments to Stormy Daniels and trying to take payments that are clearly not, you know, campaign related under the definitions that have been ruled by the FEC and try to turn those into crimes that you associate the president with. It's that whole creep of the special counsel to get the president all over again. And Tammy, it seems that Greg Jarrett explained it very well in terms of the law. And I watched the hysteria on TV and they're saying campaign finance violations. Well, I've got campaign violations from 96 over here and from 2008 over here and from Bob Dole over here and from Al Gore over here and the biggest fine paid by Obama. My question to you is, as you look at where this is now gone, I mean, I feel bad for the men involved in the things that happened, but I feel that they're victims of what is selective prosecution and a political witch hunt that they got caught up in by no other reason that they like Donald Trump. Well, look, this is why we're, we're nervous when there's more regulations and more laws, because we pretty much wake up in the morning as Americans and we're breaking some kind of a law, but then it's selective about how it gets applied, but it's always kind of hovering over you. This entire dynamic, ranging from the dossier to what Catherine Herridge described about their uh, writing and, and the, the, the filing that they just did, is fan fiction. And we're talking about criminal justice reform on one hand from the, the Trump uh, administration, of course, and the American people see this fraud, this hoax being unleashed upon people in Washington, but we experience it also at the local level level in our daily lives, whether it's the disenfranchised or people of color. This is a very chilling event. Uh, Americans recognize it. They do not like it. And it's up to the president to make sure this dynamic well, remains clear to the American people about what's happening to them. He can still release the applications, the gang of aid information, the 302s and the email chain. Do you believe, last question, Daryl Issa, we just had comments from James Comey. Do you believe what he said about the FISA warrants was accurate or did he lie? Well, he's certainly inaccurate. Uh, the idea that, that these things were anything other than falsely granted based on deceiving a federal judge is, la is more laughable than what Mark said about uh, the dossier itself. Ultimately, this dossier is what got them into a business of looking for a crime that didn't happen. Unbelievable. All right. All right. Thank you all. The so-called Gang of Eight, minus Speaker Paul Ryan, were being briefed regarding an FBI informant who allegedly had contact with Trump campaign officials during the election. It prompted the president to accuse the FBI of spying on him. Earlier, a separate meeting was held with Speaker Ryan and congressional Republicans Trey Gowdy and Devin Nunes. They'd been demanding documents from the Justice Department regarding the Russia investigation and this informant that prompted today's briefing. Here's what Congressman Adam Schiff, the leading Democrat, had to say after the second meeting concluded. Good afternoon. I won't be able to take any questions today, but I've been asked to read a brief statement on behalf of Leader Schumer, Leader Pelosi, Vice Chairman Warner, and myself. Today's Gang of Eight briefing was conducted to ensure protection of sources and methods. Nothing we heard today has changed our view that there is no evidence to support any allegation that the FBI or any intelligence agency placed a spy in the Trump campaign or otherwise failed to follow appropriate procedures and protocols. Thank you. Was it appropriate to have Emmett Flood in the meeting, sir? 
And CBS News Chief Congressional Correspondent Nancy Cordes joins us now from Capitol Hill. Okay, we, saw, we heard the Democrat response from Adam Schiff. What are Republican lawmakers saying about today's meeting? Uh, they are not saying much, Brooke, and partly that is because uh, everything that takes place in these confidential classified briefings uh, cannot be shared with the public. So we don't expect, at least in these early days, to get a lot of details about what exactly was shared with those Republicans who have been asking for this information for weeks. And that is part of the reason that you had Democrats arguing so vociferously, and Schiff was one of them, uh, that Democrats should be allowed into this, these briefings as well. First of all, they believe that they shouldn't have happened in the first place. That uh, the information that Republicans wanted, they said, uh, was uh, for the wrong reasons, wasn't necessary. But at the very least, if the FBI was going to uh, capitulate and, and have this meeting, at the very least, Democrats wanted to be in the room as well and make sure that they were hearing those facts, too. And that's why uh, Leader Schiff, uh, he's the top Democrat on the Intelligence Committee, uh, wanted to be in both meetings, the earlier meeting with just Republicans and then the larger Gang of Eight meeting, so he could uh, ensure that they were getting the same information in both meetings. Well, it wasn't just the congressional leaders. What do we make of the fact that the White House chief of staff and a key White House lawyer were also uh, listening in? That was a big surprise, Brooke, uh, partly because the White House itself, the press secretary, Sarah Sanders, had said ahead of time that there would be no White House presence in these meetings. And then you had the chief of staff, John Kelly, and the new White House special counsel, Emmett Flood, present at both meetings in the beginning. Now, the White House says they simply made a statement at the beginning of the meetings and then they left. According to uh, the White House, they were purely there to facilitate uh, the meetings, which is uh, a little bit unusual because, after all, intelligence of officials have meetings with the Gang of Eight all the time, and they don't require any White House facilitation. Uh, the White House also said that they were there to, quote, convey the president's desire for as much openness as possible under the law. Uh, and obviously, the president has been pushing for days uh, for just this kind of meeting. He is the one who has been arguing on Twitter and elsewhere that perhaps there was a spy planted in his campaign. It's very important to point out, Brooke, that at this moment, uh, as you heard uh, the congressman say, there is no indication that a spy was planted in the Trump campaign. This was someone who was working with the campaign uh, but saw some things that concerned him and may have then spoken to uh, the FBI or other investigators. Atkinson on pages 26, 33, 138, 140, and 143. Mr. Goldman, you were present for the October 4, 2019 transcribed interview of the Inspector General Michael Atkinson, correct? Yes. On pages 53 to 73 of that transcribed interview, the Inspector General's testimony confirms the following that the whistleblower made statements to the inspector general under penalty of perjury that were not true and correct. That the whistleblower first made statements in writing under penalty of perjury that were not true and correct. The whistleblower then made statements under penalty of perjury that were not true and correct in his or her verbal responses to the inspector general's investigative team. Because of the whistleblower's statements in writing and verbally to the inspector general that were neither true, correct, or accurate, Pages 53 to 73 of that sworn testimony reveal that the Inspector General was not able to answer any questions, none from me, about the whistleblower's contact or communication with Chairman Schiff's staff, of which Mr. Goldman is a member. The impeachment ringleader Adam Schiff still will not release the transcript of the Intelligence Committee Inspector General Michael Atkinson's October 4th closed-door testimony, even though he has released 15 other witness transcripts. They state here that a couple weeks ago, Ratcliffe revealed that he asked I.G. Atkinson about his investigation into the contacts between Schiff's staff and the person who we cannot name. The transcript is classified secret, so Schiff can prevent you from seeing the answers to my questions, he says. Ratcliffe suggested 
that the whistle... Oh, I can't say that. Can I even say that? Uh, committed perjury by making false statements in his written forms filed with the ICIG, and that Adam Schiff is hiding evidence of their crimes to protect him from criminal investigation. Ratcliffe said, it's time to release a transcript of the ICIG, Michael Atkins, Atkinson's testimony. A top Democrat, Adam Schiff, trying to defend the indefensible. He's trying to flip the script. After he promoted the debunked steel dossier that was paid for by Hillary's campaign and Democrats, Schiff read it into the congressional record. He claimed he saw proof of Trump-Russia collusion. Robert Mueller found none. What do you say to this? Well, I mean, Schiff really is a villain in this piece. I mean, he was judge, jury, and executioner. He was the one leading the probe on the congressional side. He would literally stop in the middle of witness testimony to go out and talk to the press about how Trump is a Russian agent. And what we know now from these Durham indictments in particular is that years ago, Schiff was in a position to know that the dossiers were entirely false. And he continues to sing the same song about Russian collusion. So, you know, as a guy who was a federal prosecutor at one point, maybe, maybe that was just a stepping stone for politics for him. But it's thoroughly depressing to see ex-federal prosecutors with zero sense of fair play or ethics when it comes to accusations. Right, because in Schiff world, accusations are tantamount to a conviction. That was, that's what's been going on for the five years that you and I have been talking about this. Now he's trying to claim he strongly supports the Durham criminal probe when he spent the last two years undermining it. Let's watch Adam Schiff here. Watch. Chair of the House Intelligence Committee, do you regret giving some credibility to the Steele dossier before anybody had been able to verify anything in that? A lot of those clips were done before there was any good verification. I don't regret saying that we should investigate claims of someone who, frankly, was a well-respected British intelligence uh, officer. Uh, and we could have known, of course, years ago that we would year learn years later that someone who is a primary source lied to him. But what I just said with the clip you just played uh, uh, ends up being exactly right, which is uh, Steele did reveal that the Russians were trying to help elect Donald Trump. Okay, the, the summary was accurate, but the details were incorrect. That does undermine the credibility, does it not? Well, certainly. Uh, you know, uh, this uh, Danchenko lied to Christopher Steele and then lied to the FBI. He should be prosecuted. And he should have known it. You know, what he, you know what he is? He's a bully. Schiff calls Christopher Steele a well-respected intelligence offer when the FBI dumped Steele as a source in the fall of 2016, when the FBI knew that this was false early on in 2016, starting in the summer fall. He talks about Paul Manafort giving Russia polling data. That's it? That's Schiff's proof of Trump-Russia collusion? You know, the, the idea that he, was, he had no way to know whether a top source was, was lying, when everybody in the FBI was talking about that in D.C., and it was getting leaked to the media that this Steele dossier was, was baloney. So the, everything that Adam Schiff that said there can be challenged. What do you say, Jim Trusty? Well, it should be challenged. I mean, there's two things that are fundamentally dishonest. The first is to pretend that he was just all about the investigation. He didn't prejudge anything, and he's glad that they investigated it, even if it turned out to be untrue. Second thing, going back to what you said about Steele, the well-respected spy, the James Bond of the story, Christopher Steele was fired as an informant for going to the media. The FBI chose to launder his information through Bruce Orr back in late 16 and 17. Bruce Orr warning the FBI, hey, this guy hates Trump. All of that was known to Adam Schiff. He's the guy that's literally accessing the classified information back in 2017. Right. So for him to claim surprise at this point is just absurd. And you know what? It, you, know, you wonder if lightning's going to strike him for these types of things. It's incredible. The, the, my former editor at Forbes magazine, Jim Michaels, used to call it the tedious orgy of self-righteousness. You know what's really like criminally wrong what Adam Schiff did? Russia meddles in U.S. elections. Russia always meddles, has been meddling for decades in U.S. elections, right? And by the way, the Mueller probe found that they were also doing things to benefit Hillary Clinton. Now, we've got Clinton operative PR executive Charles Dolan, deep ties in the Russian government. He was a source for Steele's main source, Igor Dachenko, now indicted for lying to the FBI. They were digging up dirt on Trump. Guess what the Durham indictment reads? This is what they said in the Durham indictment, that Danchenko's work could affect the likelihood that a hostile foreign intelligence service, meaning Russia, 
would attempt to influence the election and plow dis and basically plowing disinformation into the Hillary campaign and into the FBI. And so Adam Schiff is not aware that Russia is capable of doing things like that to that degree. What do you say? Well, yeah, the Russians have been and will always be a problem. They're always going to meddle in our affairs, and, and hopefully we do the same. But the bottom line is this, this indictment that came out last week uh, for um, Danchenko really sets up a, a horrific scenario that's much worse than the Russian state proper. It's Democratic operatives for Hillary feeding false stories knowingly to a Russian intel agent who gives it, gives it to a fired informant for the FBI, and the FBI runs with it. Like, there is no legitimate good purpose behind anybody in that chain and, of events that led to two years' worth of debilitating investigations. And Putin is dealing with this, is laughing at this like a cat's paw, right? That he's playing everybody. Yeah. It's unreal. ...into a whistleblower. In fact, that turned out not to be true. You know, the Washington Post uh, said so in their, in their fact check. Yes, before the person became a whistleblower, they sought advice from the committee uh, when I was asked the question, I thought they were referring to whether we had brought the whistleblower in. Uh, and I should have been more clear in my answer. You defended, promoted, you even read into the congressional record, the Steele dossier. Um, and we know last week the main source of the dossier was indicted by the FBI for lying about most of the key claims in that dossier. Do you have any reflections on your role in promoting this to the American people? The people who entrusted you as the Intel Committee Chair are so confused about your culpability in all this. Well, I completely disagree with your premise. But let's not use that as a smokescreen to somehow shield Donald Trump's culpability for inviting Russia to help him in the election, which they did, for trying to coerce Ukraine into helping him in the next election, mm. which he did, uh, into inciting an erection, insurrection, which he did. Trump incited the erection, insurrection. Um, none of that is undercut. None of that serious misconduct is in any way diminished by the fact that people lied to Christopher Steele. No, I think just your credibility is. I have a book coming out in a couple months, and it's going to really show that the real reason they tried to put Donald Trump on defense on Russia is that they had the, the Democratic Party had its own stream of eight years of failures with Russia, and they didn't want that to get out. And so the effort to create the collusion case and to fan it all through the beginning of the presidency to handicap President Trump was really an effort to cover up eight years of failure of Russia policy under Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton. I'm looking forward to being able to talk about that in July because people are going to be surprised how many things the Obama administration was trying to hide from the American public. It looks as though they had even more to hide than their severest critics imagined. Uh, and this conversation in early January in the Oval Office with Sally Yates, Joe yeah. Biden, uh, and uh, Comey and, uh, and Brennan, uh, th this is ugly stuff that a president knows more about what is happening on uh, wiretapped phone calls with a, an incoming president's national security advisor uh, than do the counterintelligence of folks uh, in the FBI. Yeah, no, listen, I've said for some time, Barack Obama has gotten a pass that he and Joe Biden have not been asked the hard questions that they need to be asked about. What did they know? When did they know it? What did they encourage themselves? But if you look at Barack Obama's record, he did not like General Flynn. He, tried, he fired him in 2014. He tells Donald Trump in November, North Korea and Mike Flynn are the two biggest threats he faces. And then right after he makes that comment, the conspiracy to get Michael Flynn begins. And as, as the attorney general said the other day, and as the evidence, if you actually read the evidence, shows they opened the case without legal cause against Flynn. They did an interview that they had no legal right to do, and then they falsified what he said to make it look like he lied. Barack Obama has to own some responsibility. And the real question is, did he encourage James Comey or anyone in the justice and intelligence system to go after Flynn? That's something that is worth investigating this spring and summer. And now in uh, investigation, and uh, we can be hopeful that the investigation of the, the investigators will come to a, a swift uh, and, uh, and revelatory conclusion. John Solomon. And Comey and Rosenstein signed off on the subsequent fraudulent FISA 
applications, again, with the bulk of information being Hillary Clinton's bought and paid for, unverifiable Russian disinformation dossier. You can't write this in a novel. And look at this memo again. Is there anything about taxi medallions, loan applications in here? Hmm. Everything we have been telling you about the deep state's abuse of power is now as clear as it has ever been. Now, the good news, I am told, and I have confidence actually in, a deep state day of reckoning is very close. Everything we told you was right. Everything the mob and the media told you. And Adam Schiff, oh, by the way, Adam Schiff, TikTok, not going to be a good day tomorrow. Just guessing. Earlier today, acting director of national intelligence, Rick Grinnell, he called on the congenital compromised liar Adam Schiff to release secret Russia probe transcripts that the committee had already voted to make public back in 2018. Tomorrow, just hearing, what do I know? I'm just a talk show host. Could be the day that the corrupt, compromised, congenital liar, Schiff, is completely exposed. Then the question of possible crimes he may have committed, that needs to be probed deeply. Now, by the way, uh, the office director of national intelligence writing, quote, all of the transcripts with our required redactions can be released to the public without any concerns of disclosing classified material, adding that if Schiff fails to follow through on his promise, the transcripts can be released directly. That's right. From the office of director of national intelligence. This is what draining the swamp looks like. It's taken this long. Why? I don't know. This is what holding shift the deep state actors like Comey, Rosenstein, accountable for their lies, their abuse of power, their corruption, their shredding of the rule of law and the Constitution. Also, sources telling me tonight there is much more to come. Buckle up. It's going to be a bumpy ride the next 12, 14 days. Uh, Director Ray, I hope you're taking notice. A lot of people don't like you tonight and don't trust you. Uh, are you going to show them you are committed to cleaning up the department of the FBI, the premier law enforcement agency in the world. In other words, will you restore that credibility or will you cover for Comey and other deep state actors and cave to the mob in the deep state? Now, by the way, just in, we have a statement from Devin Nunes to John Solomon on this bombshell. Quote, this information was redacted until now for one single reason, to hide the fact that the false allegations from the Steele dossier were included in Mueller's scoping memo. In other words, a bunch of lies paid for by the Democrats used to engineer the appointment of a special counsel to drag the president, the Trump administration, through the mud for years. He came close to bringing this country to the brink of a constitutional crisis. Who is running the PSYOP here in the USA? My, my thinking is more sophisticated that people are saying the CIA. Could be. My thinking is, you know, there's places people get on, they, they rise to in this town, so they're not even on an org chart anymore. And you might want to start thinking that way. I think the people pulling the strings on this aren't on an org chart. And as it has been explained to me that, and this would makes makes a lot of sense, the one group that was not involved in the shenanigans I was involved in some years ago was the agency. And people have told me that's because the agency only has one or two political appointments and all the rest are career. So you may have factions, but you don't have this political capture like we have seen uh, occurring over other parts of government. So I wouldn't just, I wouldn't, the agency wouldn't be the first place I would look. In fact, they were nowhere near the stuff I was doing regarding Maria Butina and the uh, Hillary Clinton stuff.
But the director of the CIA, John Brennan, had, they told me, signed a piece of paper to take over the FBI. It's like, I've explained this before. In 2008, there was a law passed that says under certain circumstances, the director of the CIA signs a piece of paper and can say to the guy driving the FBI, the director of the FBI, hey, move over. I'm, I'm taking the wheel. He can get in and take the wheel. John Brennan, in about 2015, yeah, did that with the FBI on everything to do with Russia. So the truth is, everything that happened with Russiagate was John Brennan was driving the wheel, but it wasn't the CIA. It was John Brennan as a, and he had the authority to do that. And he was driving the FBI. So really, if you want to understand what happened, it's finding out John Brennan, James Comey, and that little group, what was going on there. That's, that's what did it all. It's not the FBI as an enterprise, as not the CIA had zero to do with it, other than the director of the CIA signed this letter and took over the domestic FBI. Maybe that power should be revisited. Hi. All right. I'm going to put Mr. Schiff on the phone, and then I guess are you going to transfer him to Mr. Powerby? Yes, of course. Great. Thank you. Hi. How are you? Hello, Mr. Schiff. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you, Chairman. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak with you. I know that you work for investigation regarding Trump and Russian government. Yes. We know some important information about it. Uh, and that, uh, that uh, is documented as well in materials you want to provide to us? Yes. Could I explain you where we are? Yes, of course. But, you know, again, I would just caution that uh, uh, our Russian friends may be listening to the conversation, so I wouldn't share anything over the phone that you don't want them to hear. No, I don't think that it will impact on our investigation. Yes. Well, uh, please, go ahead then. In November 2013, Mr. Trump visited Moscow. He visited uh, competition Miss Universe, and there he met uh, with the Russian journalist and celebrity Ksenia Sovchak. I'm sorry, can you explain that again? While he was in Moscow in November 2013, he met with a, a journalist and, and... Well, she's poor journalist. But anyway, uh, she became famous because of uh, Putin is her godfather. Okay, Putin is godfather. Okay. She's also known as a person who provides uh, uh, girls for escort for oligarchs. And she met with Trump and she brought him one-hour Russian girl, celebrity Olga Buzova, who also known as a person with a strange reputation. Olga, and, and how do you spell her name? Olga Buzova. Buzova. Um, so yes. Olga Buzova is a uh, friend of the uh, the reporter Sovchak? Yes, she's a friend of reporter and I think the special agent of Russian Secret Service, Ksenia Sovchak. Um, that Sovchak is or Olga is? No, Sovchak is Ksenia. Okay, and so Buzova met with Trump uh, in, in uh, New York at some point after the 2013 Miss Universe uh, yes. pageant? Absolutely, and she got uh, compromising materials on Trump after their uh, short relations. Okay, and, and what's the nature of the compromise? Well, there were pictures of naked Trump. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so Putin was made aware uh, of the, the availability of the compromising material? Yes, of course, uh, Buzova shared those materials with uh, Sobchak and Sobchak shares those materials with uh, Putin because she's a goddaughter of Putin and Putin decided to press on Trump. Um, and, uh, and the materials that you can provide to the committee or to the FBI, uh, would they corroborate this allegation? Sure, of course. Uh, when they were in Ukraine, we got their conversation by the phone where they discussed those uh, compromising materials. We are ready to provide it to FBI. So you, you have recordings of both Sovchak and Buseva uh, where they're discussing the compromising material on uh, Mr. Trump? Absolutely.
And uh, we also know who was a mediator between Trump and Russian government, who met with the uh, ex-advisor of Trump, uh, Mr. Flynn. It was a Russian singer, very famous singer, Arkady Okupnik, who met with Mr. Flynn on uh, Brighton Beach in Brooklyn, in a special uh, Russian cafe, Langeron. What's the name of the cafe? Langeron. Langeron? Yes, it's on the Brighton Beach. Okay. And it's uh, a special when, when it's a Russian district in uh, Brooklyn. And do you know what was discussed? They discussed many things, but the most interesting thing is they use a special they used a special password uh, before before their meetings. When they met each other, they said weather is good on Derbasovskaya. Weather it rains. is good. Yeah. In where? Weather is good on Derbasovskaya. There is a name of a street in Odessa. Did you did you hear? Yes, I did. Uh, so it's a street in Odessa. Uh, yes. And the, the code word is weather is good on Derubasta? Derubasovskaya. Derubasovskaya. Skaya. Okay. And I'll have my staff follow up to get spellings and, and more details on yes. that. Yes. And the second part of their best word was uh, it rains again on Brighton Beach. It rains again on Brighton Beach. Yes. On that meeting, Okupnik told Flynn that uh, all those compromising materials will never be released if uh, Trump will cancel all Russian sanctions. Okay. Um, well, obviously, we would uh, welcome a chance to get copies of those recordings. Um, so we will try to work with the FBI to figure out, uh, along with your staff, how we can obtain copies of those. Of course, we will provide you all our copies of all our materials, but I also would like to let you know that Sobchak and Buzova will pretty soon visit our country, and we could read them and deliver them to your embassy, and you also could, we also could extradite them to your country, and you can put them to your special jail, Guantanamo. Uh, well, I'll be in touch with the FBI about this, and, uh, and we'll make arrangements with your staff. I think it probably would be best to provide uh, these materials uh, to uh, both our committee and to the FBI. Um, and so we'll make arrangements uh, uh, between my staff and yours uh, on how to facilitate that. And uh, we'll also obviously net let, let the FBI know about uh, Buseva and Sovchak's planned travel to Ukraine. I also advise you to check all Sovchak's uh, visits in the U.S. because she, were, she was in, U in the U.S. very often and uh, just to check what she did there actually. And I also would like to look at uh, Russian cafe in Bri on Brighton Beach, Langeron, and especially on the head of Russian mafia, Uncle Misha. Uncle Misha? And yes. he's in Brighton Beach? Yes, he's the head of uh, Russian mafia and he's located on, uh, on that uh, restaurant on uh, Brighton Beach. Okay. I just want to advise you just to look at them, please. Alrighty. Uh, good. This is uh, very helpful. I appreciate it. Anything else you wanted to uh, to add today? Well, I hope that my information will will be useful for you and your committee. And I also would like to advise you when you or your colleagues will meet Mr. Trump. I advise you to tell him a uh, first part of the password on the weather is good on Derbasovska and look how his uh, face will change the color. And, and so that that uh, those uh, passwords were used with uh, with Mr. Trump. Yes, correct. Um, okay. Well, uh, thank you very much. We will be back in touch uh, with you through our staff uh, to make uh, arrangements uh, to obtain these materials for our committee and and for the FBI. And and I appreciate you reaching out to us. Well, let's be in touch, and I will wait for your response from FBI. Excellent. I'll I'll have them follow up uh, as soon as possible. And I thank you again. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.
The violent and vicious riots in Atlanta carried out by the anti-police radical left anarchists are an abomination, and it has to stop. These extremists smashed windows, set fire to a police cruiser, destroyed businesses, laid waste to downtown Atlanta, and were even found carrying explosives. They wanted to kill people. They didn't quite have that opportunity, but they would have, and they wouldn't have lost any sleep over it. Unfortunately, nothing will happen to most of these rioters because of the Marxist prosecutors who have seized control of the justice system in Atlanta, just like they are in New York, just like they have in other places. As always, it's hardworking, law-abiding citizens of all backgrounds who pay the price for this radical left extremism sponsored by George Soros, it seems. The rioters who attack our wonderful police officers and destroy so many lives must be punished to the fullest extent of the law. And when I'm president again, if Marxist prosecutors betray their oaths and refuse to protect our citizens, I will not hesitate to send in federal law enforcement to restore peace and public safety. We will restore law and order in America. We've never seen anything like is happening right now. Crime is up by 50, 60, 70, and 100 percent in these radical left Democrat-run cities. We can't let it happen. Our country is going to hell. We're going to make America great again. Thank you. So the media and the Democrats, they know exactly which way to go. Russia, though, that's what CNN's Dana Bash says, might be responsible, and Adam Schiff agrees for many of the riots that we see across the country. Let's take a listen. Do you have any reason to believe that Russia is trying to fuel some of the civil unrest in these cities via social media or other methods? Uh, well, first of all, Dan, I condemn uh, any of the violence that's going on, and I find it astounding that my colleague in the Senate can simply condemn this. Um, the peaceful protests, uh, I think, are calling out uh, in a very important way um, the, the murder of so many uh, black men and women at the, at the hands of police, and those protests are in the best tradition of the United States, uh, but we need to make sure that they're peaceful, as they largely have been, and that there aren't these incidents of violence. Uh, in terms of what we can expect from the Russians or what the Russians are doing, the Russians four years ago, Dana, exploited Black Lives Matter. They set up their own false flags online uh, to try to divide people along racial lines. Are they doing uh, and it we now? Have to, uh, uh, they are, once again, uh, doing their best uh, in social media, in their overt media, and other means to grow these divisions again. And I think that uh, most pernicious, we, gotta, we have to worry about uh, their aggravating these tensions in our cities. Now to some tense moments for former President Bill Clinton as he campaigned in Philadelphia for his wife. President Clinton was confronted by protesters who appear to be from Black Lives Matter. They were upset about gun violence laws Clinton had passed when he was in office 20 years ago. But he fired back, getting into a heated exchange for nearly 15 minutes. Wow. You are defending the people who kill the lives you say matter. Tell the truth. You are defending the people who cause young people to go out and take guns. I listen to them and they don't listen to me. You will never learn anything when you're talking. Critics say Clinton's anti-crime bill led to mass incarcerations disproportional, disproportionately affecting African Americans. Welcome, as we celebrate the 75th anniversary and third quarter quell of the Hunger Games. As always, ladies first. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protest is supposed to be polite. 
and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought you should have punched him in the face. So even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and told Mexicans, rapists, and murders. He said, what do you think I should have done? I think you should have punched him in the face and then got out of the race. You're a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, we're in high school. I'd take him down and him and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face! When was the last time an actor assassinated a prisoner? You're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump. That's a fact. Look, it's his character. He's stabbed to death. There he got I have thought an awful lot about cleaning up the White House. Missouri State Senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I will go and take Trump out from that. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you go in the house. And you get back on them. And you get out and Sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and our constitution are uh, 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 right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November, and they're not going to stop after Election Day. And that's the Everyone should keep an eye on both sides. If this is not, they're not going to let out the If you take me around, you're not going to see Right now. 
Everyone else out here, white people, black people, Hispanic, Asian, we were all here enjoying ourselves. We appreciate you. So we were out here enjoying ourselves, and that wasn't enough. Because for these literal, self-admitted, self-described cultural Marxists, they want to continue to foment this outrage. And it's the world's worst of this arbitrary outrage. Right out here, this, what we had in the restaurant was the epitome of racial unity. We have people all nationalities out here enjoying their dinners, having a great time, and they had to come out here and enjoy this. continue to rely only on our military in order to achieve the national security objectives that we've set. We've got to have a civilian national security force that's just as powerful, just as strong, just as well-funded. I want to be clear in how I characterize it. This is a, mostly a protest. Uh, it, is not, uh, it is not, generally speaking, unruly. That ain't right. What we're seeing right now in Minneapolis, they are strictly principled anti-fascists, and they've taken a principled stand to stand against white supremacists and white nationalists wherever they may show up. I argue to you tonight, all punches are not equal, morally. It says it right in the name, Antifa, anti-fascism, which is what they were there um, fighting. Listen, there's you know, no organization's perfect. There's some violence. Any reasonable person would say, we shouldn't be destroying other people's property, but these are not reasonable times. But thank goodness for the looters, man. And please, show me where it says the protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. I don't care much about statues. You're seeing behind me is one of multiple locations that have been burning in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Do not get it twisted and think that, oh, this is some something that has not never happened before, and then this is so terrible, and where are we, and these savages, and all of that. This is how this country was started. People get mad, and people get sick of it. People are risking COVID to explain to this country that we're fed up. Most of the major movements in American history have started at the grassroots level, and at some point have turned into direct conflict with American government. So remember your history before you judge your president. Thuggishness is thuggishness wherever it comes from politically, and we should be the first to call it out. I disagree. Not just Soros and Steyer, who may have interest in groups like the Hughes, Spa, and Antifa. It's also our friends in Silicon Valley. Our cities are on fire. With riots in the streets and elections at stake, everything seems so organized. It's not a surprise that presidential campaigns might get involved. They believe the evidence is there, and you know they've got a really smart uh, counsel. And Tim Hafey, uh, who's leading this. We saw little bits of him last night. He's a former U.S. attorney, former federal prosecutor. He gets it. He knows what these crimes are. I'm sure he's the one writing the script with all of these potential... 
of the charges. Um, I think he will. I think they will. And uh, at least for the narrative. What should people be doing uh, beyond, I think, obviously, I'm sure you join me in thinking that it's really important for people to be watching and educating themselves uh, about this attack on America, I think, is, is a fair way to characterize it. Um, but beyond that, um, you know, what can people be doing to help this to break through, to help bring about the kinds of results which would uh, prevent this from happening again? Well, number one, they need to stay engaged. And so anybody who's on here is doing that. So kudos to you. Follow these hearings, read everything you can. It's critically important. I also think you should write your congressman. Um, I know that um, it seems like, oh my gosh, write my congressman, write like one voice in the wilderness. But that lesson about the Affordable Care Act, and they said the best method is by email. Uh, email their staff, go to their website, find your congressman, man, congresswoman. Uh, find, you know, they all have that little thing. Like, con contact your congressman by sending, fill out this field and send an email. They really listen to it. Um, it may be some staffer who reads it, but they count them. They add them up and they take little polls based on the kind of traffic they're getting from the for the member of Congress. And they tell their congressman, you know, like, 72% of our writers, you know, this month are clamoring about January 6th and saying, you know, you need to issue a report, hold them accountable, change this law. So it matters. So I think that's something you can do. So I didn't know, Crystal, that we would be divided if it weren't for the Russians. Mm -hmm. That's really all of the Russians' fault. Dang those Ruskies. Oh. Uh uh, this stuff drives me absolutely insane. Well, yeah. they just—they see it around every corner. They use it as an excuse for literally everything. And I thought Aaron Mate, who's a friend of our show, mm -hmm. made a great point on Twitter. He said, "Look, even if Russians were trying to fuel something, how contemptuous and racist do you have to be to think BLM could be manipulated by social That's media right. memes? It's Russia gators who are in fact exploiting BLM to fearmonger about Russia and deflect." from racism and dysfunction that is native born right here in the USA. And that's exactly it. Like the whole Russiagate idea is so fundamentally contemptuous of voters yes. and their own All ability yeah. to evaluate the choices in front of them and make their own decisions about how they feel about presidential contenders, about how they feel about racism in America, whether they want to protest, how they want to go about living their lives. And look, that's not to say, obviously, we're going to cover actually with Zajelani, how social media fuels divides and all of those things. I mean, you could point more to the tech titans that set up our social media platforms in this way to set us against each other, much more so than you could the Russians. And again, it's not to say that they're not trying, they're not doing things, whatever, but they also, they never talk about China. They never talk about Iran, who ha want to weigh in on the side of Joe Biden, because that's not convenient to the narrative. But the, the fundamental lie of Russiagate is that, you know, these few Facebook and social media memes are driving basically everything that you see unfolding before your eyes in America. And Americans are basically like these easily manipulated automatons, like yes. just set off in whatever direction the Russians decide to send you in. We have plenty of tension and hatred and native born problems right here at home. We don't need like it, it doesn't take Russians, you know, fanning the flames or whatever to make it worse. And that is actually what I think the real issue here is trying to absolve yourself of guilt in the case of CNN, many of these mainstream media who apologize for these for this violence but really it's that it's the contempt that they hold these i mean protesters right like it, you think they needed russians to go out into the streets like did they are the way are they the ones who killed george floyd and same thing on the right i mean you think people on the right ha, uh, need a russian meme in order to be outraged by videos of things burning and people getting killed on the street no we got plenty of stuff right here at home and it's all it is is to absolve themselves of guilt it's to always have the ultimate out to say no it had nothing to do with us it's just these pesky russians maybe i would say it's what 90 99.9999% much more having to do with our own problems here yes. than anything to do with Russia or China or Iran or anybody else. I think that's what most foreign interference basically amounts to. And by the way, you can guarantee if Joe Biden loses again, which looks entirely possible today, we can throw his statement up here, they're going to blame the Russians once oh, again. And this is one of the things that's actually really important to watch. I mean, there can be only one conclusion. President Trump's hoping Vladimir Putin will once more boost his candidacy. Okay, whatever. I mean, I'm sure Trump will be fine if Vladimir Putin does boost his candidacy. He's certainly not going to object. Let's be clear about that. 
that. But part of watching this election unfold is also asking the question about what lessons are going to be learned from this election. Last time around, there was a very clear rejection of the status quo, rejection of the neoliberal establishment that came out from the voting public. And they're discussed with Hillary Clinton and the, what she represented in terms of American politics. They didn't learn that lesson. They learned the lessons about Russia. They blamed it on sexism. They blamed it on all of these other things, which again, at the margins may have been factors, but they missed the like big blaring message that was sent from the American public. And you can see already, if Joe Biden loses again, everyone should look and go, we can't run this type of, like if you wanna win, you're an idiot to run this type of politician again. They're not gonna wanna learn oh, that lesson. Ever. They will do anything to Russia. keep from learning that lesson. So we've got Russia ready to go. I'm sure they've got a host of other excuses. It'll be, it'll be, you know what it'll actually be? It'll be that he went too far left, which will be the most laughable thing ever. But you know that is literally what they'll say. They'll blame it on the left. They'll bl yeah. blame it on the Bernie bros all over again. And there'll be a big fight over what to actually learn from this election. Yeah, I think that's back. right. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. All right, more rising for you after this. So let's get specific. Two weeks ago, you said that the January 6th committee would move very quickly to refer former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows for criminal contempt charges after he defied a subpoena. Is that still likely going to happen? And if so, when? Uh, I think we will probably make a decision this week on our course of conduct uh, with uh, that particular witness and maybe others. Adam Schiff? Uh-oh. Says Mark Meadows might be held in contempt. <laughs> well, joining me now, let's talk to the man himself about such a claim. Mark Meadows, obviously former congressman, former chief of staff for Donald Trump, author of the book The Chief's Chief. Congressman, uh, Adam Schiff, obviously a very, very reputable human being, is throwing words out there like contempt. What do you have to say about that? Well, obviously, this is a, a path that they chose to go down some time ago. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, the executive privilege claim that President Trump has and, and that, uh, that he possesses is not something that I can waive, even if I wanted to waive it. Uh, that's a claim that's uniquely his. I think uh, these are complex legal questions, obviously, that the attorneys have been trying to accommodate. And, uh, and yet it seems like uh, even with a number of offers that we've made to the commission uh, that they are... Uh, uh, traveling down this this path that uh, where they want to hold me in contempt of Congress. Why? I mean, it seems like no matter what, I mean, the fact that there even is a commission is flat out absurd, but now we have one. And of course, as all commissions do, they feel like they have to do something, but it feels like there is no satisfying these people at all. Why do you think that is? Well, I think there's a lot of the narrative, uh, Jesse, is is they want to focus on January 6th, uh, primarily because gas prices are high, uh, inflation is uh, is high, uh, Afghanistan withdrawal was a debacle, and the southern border remains open, even as you and I are talking uh, at, at this point. That being said, uh, obviously, they, they've... Uh, outlined a, a number of questions that they want me to weigh in on and those that are, are non-privileged that that certainly I can shed light on uh, more than happy to do that uh, but uh, the the offers that our attorneys have made today have have fallen on deaf ears I, I can say this that uh, the the breach of the capital security uh, on January 6 was a surprise to everybody in the West Wing uh, I've, I've been public about that I can say that there was no one in the West Wing that that had any knowledge of of any potential breach of security and yet uh, they continue to go down this this path but as you mentioned uh, Congressman Schiff uh, was willing to go on Sunday shows for the better part of four years while President Trump was in the Oval Office suggesting that there was this Russian collusion and that he had all this evidence uh, as we know that not only did he not have the evidence but much of that uh, was was really them looking in the mirror and uh, and prognosticating on what the Democrats were indeed guilty of 
We all knew the whole time that, that Adam Schiff was a congenital liar. But more importantly, we recently learned that the FBI, in the weeks leading up to the 2020 election, was warning all big tech about, quote, disinformation, maybe even about uh, the Bidens might be coming out. You're not going to want to print it. Is that the reason why in the $3.5 million the FBI paid, according to FoxNews.com, Twitter, uh, did that go a long way to buy their silence and their suppression of information? Well, Sean, I think that we always knew that there were kind of freak, the freak show at Twitter. And look, likely at Facebook and Instagram also, we're doing shadow banning. What we didn't know is that you had members of Congress who were supposed to be there to defend the First Amendment were actively trying to get reporters and others banned. I think this is probably a lot deeper, and we'll find out a lot more as this continues to go on. And, and look, Sean, I've been watching your show here tonight. I think this is one of the challenges, and, and you were right to, to call out other Republicans on this, that investigations have to move forward. There is so much that has to be done. If you look at the fiasco around January 6th and Pelosi's involvement, you look at Twitter, you look at Facebook, you look at all the, all the big tech companies, you look at the shenanigans at the DOJ and the FBI, time is wasting here. And they need to get to work and get these investigations. Subpoenas should have went out today. Let's get your take, Pam Bondi. Yeah, that's exactly right, Sean. And Kevin needs to be speaker as soon as possible so he can unleash Jim Jordan to continue and to start all of these new investigations. No media, whether mainstream or social media, should ever be used as a weapon by politicians to silence free speech. And that's what happened. If you recall, I was on the floor of the Senate defending President Trump when Adam Schiff was trying to impeach him, unsuccessfully, of course, by using a fake whistleblower. While all this was going on, a journalist, Paul Sperry, was exposing Adam Schiff's fake whistleblower. And this is a vendetta by Schiff. That's exactly what it appears to be. And it has to be investigated because free speech is all we've got in our country. We are a democratic society. We are America. And it has got to be investigated. And every American, Democrat and Republican alike, should be calling for an investigation right now of Adam Schiff. Is it possible, Devin Nunes, that the FBI has now interfered and tried to impact the outcome of the last two presidential elections? Look, I think it's very clear. And I think the Department of Justice, which really has control of the FBI, if you look at a lot of the people that were involved in these hoaxes, it started in the Obama-Biden administration, all of those people got promoted. And look, Sean, and look, you can't say this enough, and I know it's, I know it's kind of funny, but it's kind of sad at the same time, too, but it can't be said enough. And that is, during our whole Russia hoax investigation, the only person that we found trying to get information from the Russians was Adam, Adam Schiff himself. You mean the guy that wanted the and compromising not, materials, uh, that guy? Okay. Last one. And not only was he trying to get compromising materials, materials, he was trying to get nude pictures of Trump. I mean, it really happened. <laughs> That's all true. Pam, last word. Yeah, any, any, any Democrat who's saying that this is just politics is ridiculous because this has to be investigated. Sean, all we have, we have the emails. Think how much more there is out there. We don't know the phone conversations that took place, nor I think it's just the tip of the iceberg about Facebook, Google as well. And I can't wait for Kevin to be speaker so Jim Jordan can come in there and investigate all of them. At the end of the day, it was to, to, to influence the outcome of, uh, you know, a, a presidential election. And in, and in 2016, you know, uh, they were, uh, you know, unsuccessful in ultimately changing the will of the people and the and the outcome of that election. But to your to your point before, Charlie, and your question about why does it matter is if there isn't accountability, it happens again. And and that's exactly what happened in 2020. So some of the same people that we've talked about, let me just example, Adam Schiff, the, the head of the, you know, uh, the Democratic head of the, you know, uh, intelligence committee uh, in the House, 
you know, in 2016, he was the one, one of the ones advocating that there couldn't possibly have been FISA abuse um, to spy on the Trump campaign. That was wrong. He was one of the folks that said, I have evidence of uh, more than circumstantial evidence of collusion mm -hmm. between the Trump camp Trump campaign and, and the Kremlin. Of course, none of that was true. So fast forward to 2020, you know, he's one of the folks that 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 perpetrated, you know, when you talk about election influence, um, uh, it was the Hunter Biden laptop. So to, re to remind folks the, the, the story there, the New York Post breaks the Hunter Biden laptop story on October 15th. The very next day, October 16th, Adam Schiff is out saying, uh, this is a smear campaign by the Kremlin. I have intelligence that this is a Russian disinformation campaign. Now, Charlie, as I heard that on October 16, 2020, as the head of the intelligence community, I knew that that wasn't true. I knew that Adam Schiff couldn't have any intelligence because the only intelligence he would get would be intelligence I would share with him as the head of the intelligence community, and none existed. So I came out on October 18th uh, on Fox and did an interview and said, this isn't Russian disinformation. Um, and that was backed up by the Department of Justice and the FBI. Intel committee. Is, is Santos on the Intel committee? Am I allowing shift? Am I allowing shift to be on other committees? Go right ahead. Because you have direct power over who goes on the but you also will be able to raise for your whole house taking off other Democrats, perhaps Representative Omar. But you have said that lying to us is something that means you should be removed from the Intelligence Committee. But why is it not a factor? Well, let me be very... This is a man who should not be on committee, something you do have power over. He's got elected by his district, so... Okay, let me be very clear and respectful to you. You ask me a question. When I answer it, it's the answer to your question. You don't get to determine whether I answer your question or not, okay? In all respect. Thank you. No, no. Let's answer her question. You just raised a question. I'm going to be very clear with you. The Intel Committee is different. You know why? Because what happens in the Intel Committee, you don't know. What happens in the Intel Committee, although the secrets are going on in the world, other members of Congress don't know. What did Adam Schiff do as the chairman of the Intel Committee? What Adam Schiff did, use his power as a chairman and lie to the American public. Even the inspector general said it. When Devin Nunes put out a memo, he said it was false. When we had a laptop, he used it before an election to be politics and say that it was false and said it was the Russians. When he knew different, when he knew the Intel, if you talk to um, John Radcliffe, DNI, he came out ahead of time and says there's no intel to prove that, and he used his position as chairman, knowing he has information the rest of America does not, and lied to the American public. When a whistleblower came forward, he said he, he did not know the individual, even though his staff had met with him and set it up. So no, he does not have a right to sit on that. But I will not be like Democrats and play politics with these, where they removed Republicans from committees and all committees. So yes, he can serve on a committee, but he will not serve on intel, because it goes to the national security of America, and I will always put them first, all right? And if you want to talk about Swalwell, let's talk about Swalwell, because you have not had the briefing that I had. I had the briefing and Nancy Pelosi had the briefing from the FBI. The FBI never came before this Congress to tell the leadership of this Congress that Eric Swalwell had a problem with a Chinese spy until he served on intel. So it wasn't just us who were concerned about it. The FBI was concerned about putting a member of Congress on the intel committee that has the rights to see things that others don't 
because of his knowledge and relationship with a Chinese spy. They brought it to the works of the leaders. I've got that briefing. So I do not believe he should sit on there, that committee. And I believe there's 200 other Democrats that can serve on that committee. So this has nothing to do with Santos. Santos is not on the Intel Committee. But you know what? Those voters elected Schiff, even though he lied. Those voters elected Swalwell, even though he lied to the American public, too. So you know what? I'll respect his voters, too, and they'll serve on committees. But they will not serve on a place that has national security reverence because integrity matters to me. That's the answer to your question. New Congress, new subcommittees. In a partisan vote, House Republicans this week approved the creation of the Select Committee on the weaponization of the federal government. The vague resolution that created the committee gives it the authority to broadly investigate the executive branch and any federal agency that falls under its control. The committee will have subpoena power and be charged by, and excuse me, be chaired by Ohio Republican Jim Jordan. Jordan says the goal of the committee is to, quote, protecting the First Amendment. That would be right here, Sir Chuck. You said earlier in this hearing you were concerned about a hostile foreign power affecting our election. Do you recall the intelligence community inspector general, Chuck McCulloch, having an investigation into an anomaly found on Hillary Clinton's emails? I do not. Well, let me reflect, refresh your recollection. The intelligence community inspector general, Chuck McCulloch, sent his investigator, Frank Rucker, we got it. We got it. along with an ICIG attorney, Jeanette McMillan, to brief you and Dean Chappelle and two other FBI personnel that I won't name at this time about an anomaly they had found on Hillary Clinton's emails that were going to and from the private unauthorized server that you were supposed to be investigating. Now, do you remember it? I remember meeting Mr. Rucker on either one or two occasions. I do not remember the specific content or discussions. Well, I'll help you with that, that too then. Mr. Rucker reported to those of you, the four of you there, in the presence of the ICIG attorney, that they had found this anomaly on Hillary Clinton's emails going through a private server. And when they had done the forensic analysis, they found that her emails, every single one except for four, over 30,000 of them, were going to an address that was not on the distribution list. It was a compartmentalized bit of information that was sending it to an unauthorized source. Do you recall that? Sir, I don't. Well, but he went on to explain it, and, and you didn't say anything, no. you thanked him, you shook his hand, but the problem was that it was going to an unauthorized source that was a foreign entity unrelated to Russia, and from what you've said here, you did nothing more than nod and shake the man's hand when you didn't seem to be all that concerned about our national integrity of our election when it was involving Hillary Clinton. So the forensic examination was done by the ICIG, and they can document that, but you were given that information and you did nothing with it. And one of the things I found most egregious with Mr. Horowitz's testimony, and by the way, Horowitz got a call four times by someone wanting to brief him, leaving messages telling him about this, and he never returned the call. He had 500 pages of bias that he gave us, and then he threw a bone to the Democrats and said, but we can't find bias. And let me tell you, when you have text messages, Mr. Strzok, the way you do, saying the things you did, 
you'd been better off coming in here and say, look, that was my bias. And you kind of get around to that a little bit when you say, hey, uh, you know, everybody's got political views. Those are called biases. And we all have them. And you have come in here and said, I had no bias. And you do it with a straight face. And I watched in the, in the private testimony you gave. And I told some of the other guys, he is really good. He's lying. He knows. We know he's lying. And he could probably pass the polygraph. It's amazing. Mr. Chairman. No, this is my Mr. Time. Chairman, I'm sorry. I, point of order. Paused. This point, point of order. No. The general state is point of order. A member of this committee just asserted that this witness who is under oath and a former agent of the FBI lied. There is no evidence that I ask him to withdraw it. I do not withdraw it. He is not a member of Congress. It's not a violation of the rule. And just as you have been expressing bias through your members about what a hero there is not a single person on this committee who has ever characterized a witness gentleman from Rhode Island. Gentlemen, it's my time. That's a gentleman from Rhode Island will suspend. No, the disgrace is what this man has done. The gentleman from Texas will suspend for a moment. There is the disgrace. And it won't be recaptured anytime soon because of the damage you've done to the justice system. And I've talked to FBI agents around the country. You've embarrassed them. You've embarrassed yourself. And I can't help but wonder, when I see you looking there with a little smirk, how many times did you look so innocent into your wife's eye and lie to her about uh, Lisa? Mr. Chairman, this is outrageous. The credibility of a witness Shame is always an Mr. Chairman, you please. Mr. Chairman, this is intolerable. Harassment of the witness. What's wrong with that? You need your medication. The gentleman controls the time. Well, I ask that the witness be permitted to respond. Well, he, will be permitted. he will be permitted to respond. Did you ever talk to Hillary Clinton during your investigation, besides the one questioning you mentioned, before that or after that to this day? Point of order, Mr. Chairman. Point of order, Mr. Chairman. The general state is point of order. It is, I think, against the rules of the House for a member of the committee to be impugning the character of a witness. It is he should, not. He should ask questions to elicit. The purpose of this hearing is to elicit information. He should ask questions to elicit information. He should not be impugning the character uh, of the witness. The gentleman is advised the rules of the House only are directed to members of the House and the President of the United States. The, Therefore, in other words, it is okay to impugn the character of witnesses in, in any way whatsoever? Well, I, I, listen, I've heard many members on your side of the aisle impugn the character of somebody who is covered by the rules of the House. But the gentleman, the, 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 the gentleman uh, has 20 seconds left. The clock will be turned back on, and he can complete his time, and then the witness can respond. So if you talk to Hillary other than Hillary Clinton, other than the time she was examined in front of the witnesses? No. So after throwing away what you have with all the bias you have, you've never even gotten a thank you. I yield back. The gentleman may respond. Sir, well, that's quite a set of statements. Mr. Chairman, sure I did not respond. finish with a question. The gentleman, there was no question asked. Mr. Chairman, he's been given the opportunity to respond. The gentleman, the gentleman will suspend. The time of the gentleman has expired. And as I've indicated earlier. The rules earlier, of our hearings if, are if there is a question asked during the time, the witness may respond to the, the question the after is, the time. The witness is going to be allowed to respond briefly. That's a new rule. Sir, first, I assure no you, question. under oath, as I spoke also during my interview a week or two ago, I have always told the truth. The fact that you would accuse me otherwise, the fact that you would question whether or not that was the sort of look I would engage with in a family member who I have acknowledged hurting, goes more to a discussion about your character and what you stand for and what is going inside you. It's to your credibility and, and while you lost your credibility. Both, both individuals. I, while I lost your credibility. While That's I doubt it plays well the to America, will I'm not sure will, The well. gentleman from Texas will suspend. The witness has had ample opportunity to express his feelings about that, and now the chair recognizes Mr. Chairman, there is a, there is a discussion about the representative's first uh, assertion about what the ICIG said that I would like to respond to. Very briefly. Very briefly. 
I have no recollection of that conversation. I can tell you I am not a computer forensic expert. I can tell you that every allegation that we had, and ICIG was a great and close partner, every allegation that we had, whether from them or anybody else, was forwarded to experts who looked at it. The scores and scores of servers and Blackberries and emails and everything we got were combed over carefully by the FBI's experts to see if there's any indicia of injury. But you don't recall going saying, over sir, those emails, correct? Gentlemen, we'll saying, I have no idea what you're talking about, and frankly, and the, just and the witness will suspend as well. I do not know what you're talking about. That you is just enough. can't let a witness the, go on forever. The, when the fact is, you never did Mr. anything Chairman, about those, order. correct? Regular order. You didn't do anything wait, wait, about it. Wait, wait, sir, so, if there was a lead, I gave it to the team, unequivocally. The gentleman, there was nothing along Mr. the Sprock, lines that will was not suspend. addressed. Well, that'll come out. Mr. Gomer, you will suspend. Chairman and witnesses, thank you, Mr. Turley. My condolences that you've had to sit through 60 of these, but thank you for being willing to do that. Uh, I look forward to hearing from all of you, but uh, Mr. Chairman, I also look forward to hearing who others who are key to this investigation. Christopher Ray, the Attorney General, former FBI Director Comey, former CIA Director Brennan. I hope we have a chance to hear from them as well. I want to share with you my first experience in this area. 2017, member of the House Intelligence Committee, after months and months of stonewalling, we were finally allowed to go to the FBI building and to read the FISA application on Carter Page. And after reading that application, it was very, very clear to me the FBI has lied to the FISA courts. The FBI has lied to Congress, and the FBI has lied to the American people. After that, I had a similar experience with some CIA documents and then other agencies. And the result of this is when, Mr. Turley, you talk about losing the faith of the American people. If an FBI agent called me today and said they wanted to speak with me, I would never speak to them, regardless of the topic, without my attorney present. And by the way, Congress has to reauthorize 702 this year. And we are a long way away from getting the trust of confidence because of the subject we're talking about today. And we'll lose a valuable tool if many people are simply going to say, we won't give them that authority, they abuse it. I'd like to focus on the FBI abuse if I could. I'd remind you, Carter Page was an innocent American citizen. The FBI said he was a Russian spy. Turned out that was not true. In fact, turned out there was zero evidence that he was a Russian spy. And yet, the IG, FBI G went and looked at the FISA application, and this is what they found. And Mr. Williams, I hope you'll pay attention to this because I'm going to ask you a question about this. They found 17 significant errors omissions. They found 51 wrong or unsupported factual assertions, including FBI lawyers who simply made up evidence and included it in the FISA application. Disgusted by this, I would suppose, the IG went and looked at random 25 other FISA applications and found significant inconsistencies and omissions in every one of them. Mr. Baker, you're a former FBI agent. Do you think that 17 omissions, 51 wrong assertions, in a FISA application, that, by the way, if you're going to get one right, don't you think the one that's targeting the President of the United States would be one you'd be particularly careful of? <laughs> and yet they found that many omissions. Do you find that a standard acceptable? Uh, of course not, Congressman. And in fact, it's, it's actually even worse than you described. Uh, the, the, uh, there was exculpatory information available that was not considered. Uh, some of the information that was considered, we now know from the Steele dossier, was false. That's right, and the list but, goes on. But even beyond that, the, the fact is that individual American, that U.S. person, Carter Page, should not have been subject to that FISA surveillance because he was an individual who, in the, this is all on the public record now, briefed, had cooperated with the CIA and the FBI That's in previous right. investigations. So he would, by the guidelines that existed then, he should have been excluded from FISA. He could have been directly interviewed. That's right. Mr. Baker, I'm going to cut you off because okay. you've made your point. Mr. Williams, do you think that, as I've described to you, 17 omissions, 51 wrong assertions in one FISA application is professionally done? Sir, I would say that this is a matter that continues to be of interest to the it's Justice It's a simple Department question. Now. Do you find that acceptable? 
I, be, I think it's hilarious that you won't say, no, I don't. What I'm saying, sir, is that this is a matter uh, before the Justice Department and Congress that has been ongoing for years. Okay, and you so you won't correct. answer the question. What if I will find say is that uh, it makes sense for you to direct the question to the Justice Department. I'm asking your opinion. I'm not asking for, for an, any insight into their investigation. I'm asking for a simple opinion. Do you find that acceptable? What I will say as okay, is never mind. Opinion. Do not answer the question. Thank you, Thank you sir. Because of this, the FBI initiated reforms, and you know what they were? Trainings. Here's some trainings for senior FBI officials. Training number one, don't lie to FISA courts. <laughs> training number two, don't make things up. Uh, how about training number three, don't hide evidence. That's what senior officials in the, in the FBI did. And if I wish I had more time, I'm almost out of time, because I would come to you and ask, first, Mr. Williams, I'd come back one more time and ask you if you find that acceptable or not, but we won't waste time with it. I would ask, how do we restore faith in the FBI? Because we want to trust the FBI. And people say you're going after the FBI. What nonsense. We're trying to protect the FBI. I know FBI agents who are deeply offended by what they see. They want us to hold them accountable. And that's what the committee is going to do. Thank you. I yield back. Welcome to a special edition of Legal AF. I'm Karen Friedman Agnifilo, and I'm joined today by the Manhattan District Attorney, Alvin Bragg, who's just finished his first year as the new Manhattan DA. And boy, did he end it with a huge victory. 17 felony convictions against the Trump Corporation and their payroll company, both of which were sentenced this morning to a financial penalty of 1.6 million, which is the maximum allowable sentence under the law. And earlier this week, Trump's chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, was also sentenced for his convictions of 15 felonies. These are the first criminal convictions in the Trump orbit, and kudos to you, DA Bragg, for getting this done. As a quick reminder to our viewers and listeners, I worked at the Manhattan DA's office for almost three decades, and I was the number two under DA Bragg's predecessor, Cy Vance. I worked at the Manhattan DA's office for almost three decades, and I was the number two under DA Bragg's predecessor, Cy Vance. Now, 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 hearing that today, you're seeing it differently, aren't you? Let's start with the Espionage Act of 20, uh, huh? I'm going to rephrase that, 1917. And it was actually ultimately put forward, right? They were charging two former lobbyists with the American Israel Public Affairs Committees with APAC. They were actually charged, but then the charges were dropped in August of 2005, and they dropped the charges in 2009. What are you talking about, Tori? Are you saying that the Espionage Act, that they actually use that? Yes, they do. Allow me to elaborate. Edward Snowden as well. And this is how they charge Julian Assange. Now, these are all journalists or lobbyists or former CIA analysts slash NSA like Edward Snowden. But has anyone in sitting office been charged with them? Yes, but not from a long time ago. In 19, the Espionage Act of 1917, a German socialist congressman and newspaper editor, Victor L. Berger, was charged with that. Socialist Charles Schneck was also charged with violating the Espionage Act of 1917 when he circulated a flyer that opposed the military draft. Now, 
what does the Espionage Act of 1917 say? Let's take a look at that. Let me take a look. I think I've talked about this before, but let's go through it again. Why not? Let's see. Hmm. No, no. I need that. There it is. U.S. Code Chapter 37. Espionage. Wait. What's this? Have you seen it? See, a lot of people talk without reading. So officially, it's 18 U.S. Code Chapter 37, which is espionage and, oh, wait, what's that word? Oh, shit. Censorship. Let's continue because we have to show you. <laughs> we can't just tell you. So this is the official U.S. Code Chapter 37. I just wanted to just put this out there for a second. Now, the Espionage Act pretty much says that if you are giving, you know, comfort to the enemies of your nation, then you should be charged. A congressman can be charged under the Espionage Act of 1917. Why? Because what does the Espionage Act say? What does it really say? That you're spying? Does anyone know what it says? Because the Espionage Act seems to be applicable to those that are sitting in Congress right now. It was enacted on June 15, 1917, just as the U.S. decided they're going to enter World War I. The Espionage Act of 1917 was to prohibit, to, again, prohibit giving away information like radar stuff or facilities that the government is using or sharing such information with foreign nations. It was based on the Defense Secrets Acts of 1911, especially the notions of obtaining or delivering information relating to national defense to a person who's not entitled to have it, right? So it's like me giving information about surveillance systems or blimps, right, Adam, to someone in a foreign nation that may or may not be a communist in Ukraine. Now, the Espionage Act limited any Americans' First Amendment rights also. It prohibited obtaining information, recording pictures, copying descriptions of any information relating to the national defense with intent or reason to believe that the information may be used for injury of the United States or to the advantage of a foreign nation. Now, considering all the things that we've been watching right now, through those that are sitting in chairs that you pay for and those salaries that you pay for, sounds like all of those people are responsible for violating the Espionage Act of 1917. I believe that once, well, soon to come in the future, uh -huh, we'll have a new Espionage Act, maybe an amendment to it. Because it wasn't aggressively enforced because a lot of people were dissenting against it. The Pentagon Papers that Daniel Ellsberg, uh, he was a former defense analyst who leaked um, famous Pentagon Papers, he was the one that went to trial in 1973. In, in the end, all the charges were thrown out. It's considered First Amendment, and obviously, you can't be jailed for sharing information that depict crimes that people allegedly, 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 in a position to represent your nation have committed. So, I want you guys to take a think and see how this applies. I want you to think of the Espionage Act when you're thinking of people like Adam Schiff or Mark Warner or Nancy Pelosi or Blumenthal or Schumer or I can continue. The list is quite long. It's extremely long. So again, here we are implementing the Espionage Act with no actual charges. See, that would have been charges if Lev Parnas was able to be a witness. But thank God for former FBI official Mr. Rossini 
who dispelled that story. I mean, that would have bought him time for the federal government to come in. I mean, this is a state court, and they're pushing Espionage Act. It already tells you what's happening. We have another state where we have lawsuits pending, which they're going to flip into federal charges. You'll see. But that's okay. Kind of like the way I knew they were going to raid him and ultimately indict him. Well, here we are. Sometimes when people believe that it's fatalism, you have to think, what type of fatalism? This is a, a soft fatalism because humans do have control over their future. I've said this before. Algorithms that are used in predictive analytics erroneously use humans as absolutes or give a generalized feel for it. But in order for you to make chaos linear, because it's not, you have to accept things as absolute notes. And suddenly, all the information you want is present. All of it. Oh, just going to leave that right there. There you go. Thank you, Scotty. Fantastic. Here's Adam Schiff's son. Here's the FTX guy. Just going to leave this here. Disclosures. This include leaks to both the media and, in some cases, even unauthorized disclosures. Nearly as many criminal referrals involving unauthorized disclosures of classified information as we received in the previous three years combined. Classified information, by definition, is information that, if disclosed, would do harm to national security. As Director Coates will discuss, leaks are incredibly damaging to our intelligence mission and capabilities. Simply put, these leaks hurt our country. All of us in government can do better. The first requirement is for discipline within all our agencies of the government. To prevent these leaks, every agency and Congress has to do better. We are taking a stand. This culture of leaking must stop. Furthering this goal today, we are here to announce some steps being taken and underway by the National Insider Threat Task Force to ensure the government's first priority to protect this country and her citizens is not undermined by the very people who have been entrusted to protect it. While the Department of Justice does not discuss ongoing investigations or confirm specific matters, it is important for the American people and those who might be thinking about leaking classified or sensitive information to know that criminals who would illegally use their access to our most sensitive information to endanger our national security are in fact being investigated and will be prosecuted. Since January, the department has more than tripled the number of active leak investigations compared to the number pending at the end of the last administration. And we've already charged four people with unlawfully disclosing classified material or with concealing contacts with federal officers. Soon after I arrived here in February, I initiated a review of our leak investigations and prosecutions. I reviewed how these cases were being referred and handled and was concerned with what I found. Too few referrals, too few investigations with the sufficient resources dedicated to them. I concluded the unprecedented rise in leaks required an increase of additional support for more investigations and to speed up existing investigations. Our system here relies on the intelligence community making a determination of whether classified material has been improperly handled or released and then sending referrals to us at the Department of Justice. This means it's vital, vital for the intelligence community to know that the Department of Justice is committed to investigating and prosecuting these referrals. And when few investigations take place, criminal leaks may occur more often and a culture of leaking can take, can take hold. So today, I have this message for our friends in the intelligence community. The Department of Justice is open for business, and I have this warning for would-be leakers, don't do it. For the past several months, we've already made changes and are seriously ramping up our efforts. 
First, I directed my fine deputy, Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, whose district in Maryland encompasses NSA headquarters and who has personally led investigations of this kind, and the investigator, FBI Director Christopher Wray, to oversee all classified leak investigations, actively monitor the progress of each and every case. Secondly, I directed the National Security Division of the Department of Justice and our U.S. attorneys to prioritize cases involving unauthorized disclosures. The department will not hesitate to bring lawful and appropriate criminal charges against those who would abuse the public trust. Third, as I have said, we tripled the number of active leak investigations. In response, the FBI has increased resources devoted to leak cases and created a new counterintelligence unit to manage these cases. Simultaneously, this department is reviewing policies that impact leak investigations. And I've listened to our career investigators, FBI agents and others, and our prosecutors about how to most successfully investigate and prosecute these matters. At their suggestion, one of the things we are doing is reviewing policies affecting media subpoenas. We respect the important role that the press plays and will give them respect, but it is not unlimited. They cannot place lives at risk with impunity. We must balance the press's role with protecting our national security and the lives of those who serve in the intelligence community, the armed forces, and all law-abiding Americans. Finally, here is what I want to tell every American today. This nation must end this culture of leaks. We will investigate and seek to bring criminals to justice. We will not allow rogue anonymous sources with security clearances to sell out our country. These cases to investigate and prosecute are never easy, but cases will be made and leakers will be held accountable. All of us in government and in every agency in Congress and Congress must do better. The first requirement is personal discipline. Education and repetition within our departments and agencies will make a difference. Prevention is what is required. An investigation of a leak is too late, really. The damage is done. Thank you all, and I would now recognize our Director of National Intelligence, Dan Coates. Uh, good morning, Mr. Attorney General. Thank you very much for uh, your leadership and inviting me to join you here today and working with you on the task force. Um, you and I have served together in the United States Senate. We serve together now in the Trump administration. And today, we stand together to address an issue which both of us strongly believe needs to be addressed using the authorities of our respective agencies. For the past few months, I have had the privilege of working with the dedicated men and women of the intelligence community. I have seen firsthand the work that they do tirelessly and without fanfare to protect our country. I stand here today as their leader to express our grave concern that unauthorized disclosures of classified material and damaging our mission and jeopardizing the safety and security of the American public. In the last several years, the U.S. intelligence community has experienced some of the worst compromises of classified information in our nation's history. Those disclosures have been disseminated to both the media and to our foreign adversaries. Let me be absolutely clear this morning. These disclosures have resulted in a major threat to our national security. They endanger the men and women of the intelligence community, the armed services, and those who serve overseas. They give our adversaries knowledge of our activities. They impede our ability to share information with our allies. There is also a real cost in dollars to compensate for blown programs. And most importantly, as I have previously noted, these unauthorized disclosures endanger the safety and security of Americans across the country. I'd like to point out, however, that these national security breaches do not just originate in the intelligence community. They come from a wide range of sources within the government, including the executive branch and including the Congress. Now, if someone who has access to classified material has legitimate concerns, there are multiple ways for them to put forward a complaint. The IC offers avenues for whistleblowers. 
and protections for those individuals to report concerns without fear of reprisal. And there are other legal options available outside of those channels, including notifying the congressional intelligence committees or even their own congressional representative or senator in Congress. Having said this, it is important to stress that any disclosure of unauthorized channels, authorized, excuse me, any disclosure outside of authorized channels is a criminal offense. And we will simply not tolerate the illegal release of classified information. The National Counterintelligence and Security Center, which is part of my office, is currently carrying out a review of the policies that are in place, guiding IC agencies processes for investigating and reporting cases of unauthorized disclosures. In addition, the NCSC is studying security clearance procedures to look for any inconsistencies in the processes for issuing security clearances to all IC employees, including government officials, contractors, detailees, etc. If inconsistencies are found, NCSC will make recommendations to strengthen the security clearance process. And this can be discussed and will be discussed after we finish our remarks. We will also continue to ensure the federal workforce is clear of the importance of respecting classifications and is fully aware of whistleblower options. And we will work with our counterparts in the executive branch and the Congress to address this issue. Let me conclude by saying that we are prepared to take all necessary steps to, one, identify individuals who illegally expose and disclose classified information. Secondly forward information about their deeds to the FBI for full investigation. And we will work closely with the Department of Justice to support prosecution of any person who makes an unauthorized disclosure of classified material. Fourth and finally is the Director of National Intelligence. I am also empowered to take administrative action within the IC to deal with individuals who break the law. And let me be clear, I will not hesitate to exercise those authorities. Anyone who engages in these criminal acts is betraying the intelligence community and the American people. We feel the pain of those betrayals intensely, and I can assure you that I will do everything in my power as the Director of National Intelligence to hold these individuals accountable. For those out there who may be listening or watching these announcements, or who will later learn about what has been said here this morning, understand this. If you improperly disclose classified information, we will find you. We will investigate you, we will prosecute you to the fullest extent of the law, and you will not be happy with the result. So there may be many, and likely are, more reconnaissance satellites than we know about. It's also worth noting that both nations will often work closely with commercial satellite imagery providers, such as Digital Globe. For comparison, the satellite imagery you'd see on Google Earth is between 25 to 50 centimeters. The resolution is actually limited by several governments. For example, until recently the US government limited commercial satellite resolution to 50 centimeters. It was lowered to 25 in 2014, and companies such as Digital Globe are pushing for even lower restrictions, from 25 to 10 centimeters. For a comparison of resolutions, here's an extremely zoomed in image of a street corner. The total dimensions of the image are approximately 11 meters wide by 6 meters in height. This one is at half meter resolution, a common resolution used in Google Maps. This one at 25 centimeters, the best publicly available resolution. Here you can start to make out that it is of a bus stop and you can see individual slabs of concrete. Here is at 5 centimeters, a resolution known to be within the limits of spy satellites. And finally the 1 centimeter resolution believed to be used by some of the most advanced government spy satellites. In this image you can make out what people are wearing. 
that the man on the top has a cup in his hand, you can clearly make out the wheels and the walker the woman is sitting on, and you can even make out a can on the ground, and you might even be able to figure out what brand it is as well. You've probably heard the saying that spy satellites can read newspapers from space, or the more modern version saying that they can read cell phone screens. A good director keeps their eye on everything. I hope you're enjoying the show.